Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Scripture reading for this Sunday is the first psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those delight in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I thought we'd start out the sermon with a nice light-hearted psalm. Before we jump into the sermon this morning, I want to just tell you guys about something I am incredibly excited about. Uh, like was said earlier, we're about to enter into a season called Lent. And for those of us who did not grow up in churches or a church where we practice different seasons, it's a bit odd. But the church calendar is different from our calendar. The church calendar has seasons where it walks us through se- uh, themes and, and holidays to remind us of, of our, the journey of the human experience and the journey with Christ. And the season of Lent it begins on Ash Wednesday. And to help enrich this experience, many people in our church have helped come up with uh, devotionals so that during these 47 days during Lent, we can actually engage with God and God's Word in a new and fresh way. And so I want you to pull out your cell phone. This is the one time this morning you don't have to feel bad about having your cell phone out. We have created a podcast And uh, it's to help you with every single day, there is an audio recording of a meditation, a scripture reading, and uh, to help you that if you would like to engage in this, that every single day you could pull out your phone and there's an audio recording that would lead you through a scripture reading and a devotional from people within our church. Isn't that awesome? So if you would, text the word podcast to the number 97,000. So in the little, you know, on your little messenger, pull, write the number 97,000 and type the word podcast, and you should have a uh, text message bounce back to you that will give you instructions on how to subscribe, how to subscribe for this podcast. And I think, guys, it's going to be awesome. A lot of hours have been put towards this, and I think it's really, really, really going to be a fun way for each of us in our own life to, to journey together through the season of Lent. Uh, in, in about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to put your phones away. Just kidding. This actually goes well into our our theme for this morning. We are on a sermon series called uh, Best Year Ever. And for these last uh, four weeks, we've talked about how to have a different kind of year. And this morning, we're going to finish this series with something that I think is incredibly critical for the life uh, of people who want to follow Jesus. Uh, And we're going to talk about God's Word. We're going to talk about Scripture. So as we begin, I just want to ask you this question How would you describe your relationship to the Bible? Think about it. How would you describe your own relationship with the Bible? Is it an out-of-date history book that's complicated? Is it a lifeless religious text? Is it confusing? Is it a barrier between you and God? 
Has it been used as a weapon to hurt and judge people in your life? Or is it a life source? Is it a sense of connection to God? The Bible is an amazing thing. I don't know if we stop and give it much consideration, but if we were to stop and consider what the Bible is, how it came to be, it's incredibly powerful. The Bible uh, was comprised by an unknown number of authors spanning throughout the world, authors from different generations with different understandings of the world, using different languages, all telling their story about what it means to have a life with God. That's what the Bible is. It's telling a grand story about what it means to have a life with God, to know God, to experience God, to walk with God, to experience the life that we are created to live. That's what all of the Bible is about. The, book, the Bible is a book full of poetry and prose, songs and prophecy, wisdom sayings, eyewitness accounts. It's amazing. Letters. The Bible comprises of all of those things. Some of the writers of the Bible had no clue that they were writing religious text. One of my favorite things, uh, uh, Paul was writing a letter to his young protege, Timothy. And in this letter that makes First and Second Timothy, he inserts things in there he would never write if he knew that it would be leather-bound and gold-plated. If we were, in one, of, one of the letters he writes, hey, uh, will you bring my cloak I forgot in some books I left behind? He never would have written that if he thought that we'd be reading it 2,000 years later here in Austin. Like the modern-day equivalent, hey, I left my Tupperware container back at the house. Would you bring it for me? But for me, it just that makes it even more beautiful and mysterious how human the Bible is, yet how sacred and holy it is. Even though Paul didn't know that he was writing Scripture, God knew. And it's a beautiful, wonderful mystery If we aren't awestruck by the Bible, if we aren't challenged by the Bible, I don't know if we've spent much time thinking about it. Think about this. We believe that not only God inspired these writings, but he also navigated the crazy process that it became the Bible. The original encounters were were told through stories, and these stories were retold. And then they were retold after that, and retold after that. Then someone wrote them down, and then they shared it, and then they translated it, and then they shared it again, and then they eventually compiled it, and then they translated it, and then fought about the translations, and then translated again. And then here we are in 2018 with a holy word, and we somehow believe that this is God's word for us, timeless and perfect. If it's not staggering and challenging, I don't know if we're paying attention. What is your relationship with the Bible? Paul said to Timothy, the purpose of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, he says this. All Scripture is God-breathed. I love random weird sayings. I I always want to stop there. What in the weird is is God-breathed? All Scripture is God-breathed. God breathed. What a weird phrase. If you guys uh, think back, for those who are familiar with the Bible, um, how did God create Adam? Well, he formed him in the dust, but he, wasn't, he didn't have full life until something happened. God breathed life into him. Then all of a sudden, he was fully alive. Jesus, after his death, the disciples were afraid. They were hiding in this room together, trying to figure out what in the world happened. And then the resurrected Jesus showed up and said, 
I want to give you peace. And then he did something really weird. He breathed on them. Scripture here, this is what Paul is saying, that all Scripture has God's breath in it. The thing that has the miraculous capability of bringing about life. It's here in the Bible. The Bible, Scripture, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This word righteousness, just think it's, it's used to train you on how to live rightly. This is, this is how that God has called us to live, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped for life? Do you want to be equipped for, at the end of your life, you look backwards and you see goodness and mercy? Do you want to be equipped for life to experience significance? You can't do it alone. You need God's word to show you what that is. Believing that it has God's breath in our life to bring about new life and direction. For us to have a different kind of year, a better year, we have to plant this year and build this year in God's word. If we were to take this seriously, we have to build this year in God's, God's word. There's a guardrail that our staff talks about often, our leadership talks about often. And it's, a, it's another way to say it's a value of ours, and it's this. There's no, no better place to plant one's life than in God's word. It's the most sure, trustworthy place to plant your life in God's word. And so there's no better place for us to plant 2018 than in God's word. Though you might not have an, a clear idea of what it means that you have a relationship with God's word, I just want to offer Three ways in which you can have a relationship with God's word this morning. Three different ways. The first is, the Bible is a blessing. We heard the scripture reading earlier, Psalm 1. It begins with this. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinner, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Notice the progression of a, uh, a life that will lead towards despair, walking with the wicked, standing in its place, then eventually sitting down. Now this, this is where that life, it, it stalls you out. But there is the life of blessing. It's funny, in our culture, we talk about being blessed, I think, a lot, and sometimes I think we meet, misuse it. Oh, I'm blessed. Uh, I, I don't think that this idea, Psalm 1 idea of, of blessing, is a good parking spot. Oh, I was really blessed when I went to Target. A great parking spot. I think this idea of blessing is more than health and wealth. I think this is pointing to us as something different. The law was created, God's word was created so that we might know how all things were intended to work. That God's word shows us how all things were intended to work. That we, when we start living in this blessed life, we actually are flourishing because we are connected to the way in which God created everything to work. Things lock into place and we flourish. I had a dog. He was a yellow lab in college. Uh, I went away to Germany for half a year and I just left him back with my roommates. It was awful. And then I came back and I moved to Waco for grad school. And one afternoon I took this dog, Bailey, um, by the way, I bought Bailey from one of my friends in college. Her name was Jen, my wife. Uh, 
Her parents said no dogs allowed in college because they eventually end up at our house, and Jen still bought, bought it. Anyway, so I bought it from Jen. I had Bailey in Waco, and uh, this was before the silos took over Waco. There wasn't much to do. And so I went out to this park called Cameron Park Zoo. Anyone been there? Cameron Park Zoo? Awesome. It's a beautiful part of Waco. And so I was at this park, and I was throwing a tennis ball, and Bailey, he had so much energy. If you didn't get out his energy in healthy ways, he would destroy the house. You had to exhaust him. And so I would just throw this tennis ball. He'd run, go get it, bring it back, and then act like he was giving it to me and then fight it, you know. Like, who's playing with who here? I get it. And so one time I threw it really, really far because I'm strong, I guess. And I, uh, <laughs> and uh, as Bailey was running after, he got to the top of the hill, and as he was running, at the top of the hill he just froze. And I was thinking to myself, oh, no, there's probably like a picnic right there. It smells good or another dog. or cat. I, I don't know what it was, but I was frightened. So I ran up there to stop him. And when I got to the top of the hill, I realized what he was looking at was the Brazos River. And I realized that he literally had never seen a body of water before. Bad dog owner, I know, judge me. (laughs) He'd never seen a body of water before. And there was something that when he got to that top of the hill and saw the river, something clicked and went, oh, that's good. (laughs) And I went down to him. I just said, I remember saying this, Bailey, go get it. And and I walked down there with my tennis ball. And I kid you not, for the next hour, just threw the tennis ball in the water. Ran it back for an hour. And I, I was sitting on the bank of this river. I was thinking to myself that Bailey had never experienced this thing that he was created for. You know, like a yellow labs, their coat's different than like a poodle. It was actually, it's more like an otter. It was meant to be in water. And as I was watching Bailey do what he was created to do, it made me think about my relationship with God, my relationship to life. And how when we are living in the way that God has created us to live, things click into place And then our soul gets to say, that's good. You know what I'm saying. When you've experienced life and you've connected to the way in which God has created to to live, and your soul just goes, this is what it's about. This is good. That, my friends, is what is meant by the blessed life. When you're connected to the way in which God has created you to live, Blessed is the one who meditates and delights on God's law. Blessed is one who gets to soak and delight in who God says he is and who God says life is. And it goes on like this in verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Don't you love that picture of just a tree next to streams of water, tranquil and calm. And here we have here that God's word is saying, for those who delight in my, in my word, for those who meditate on it, you're going to be like a tree next to streams of living water. 
I have a friend here in town, he's, his name is Tim, he's an arborist, and I called him up and I said, hey Tim, tell me about Psalm 1. He's also uh, ordained, and so he has both this wor- world of like loving scripture, but also loving trees. And I asked him about Psalm 1, I said, what, what, tell me about this idea of someone who meditates and delights in God's laws like a tree next to streams of water. And he said, well, it's actually incredibly obvious. Uh, Mark, uh, water's necessary for life. And I said, yeah, I know that, I know that. But he did say that being uh, planted next to a river or streams of water means that your life source is accessible to you at all times. At all times, the tree's life source is there. And it's amazing for trees that are planted next to rivers, they will send their roots down the banks of the rivers. They won't grow out as much the other direction, but all along the banks of the river, it will just send their roots out. So that in and out of season, it could be connected to its life source. He shared with me that if you take a tree that's the same age right there next to the river and compare it to a tree that's far away from the river, let's say like on campus or something like that, the tree next to the river would dwarf the size of the other tree. It would look like twice as old. It would look so much more healthy and flourishing. This is the case, he said, even a quarter of a mile from the river. A quarter of a mile from the river, the trees will look different than they would if they were elsewhere in town. That's why here in Austin, all along Town Lake are just beautiful, big, flourishing trees. Isn't that a, just take this even a step further for us? The person who delights and meditates on God's word will have access to life. Their souls will be healthy. They will dwarf the size of their own health if they were planted somewhere else, and they won't wither when seasons go dry. This is the gift of God's word. It is a blessing. But it's not just enough to know and to read God's word and study and memorize it. It has to be lived out. So the second relationship we have with the Bible is the Bible is instruction. Jesus was explicit about this in Matthew 7. He said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who put his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Again, notice that Jesus is not saying, the blessed life means that you won't have storms. Jesus is actually saying the opposite. The storms are coming. Have you already built your house on a sure foundation? Have you already built it by hearing God's word, Not just meditating on it, but hearing God's word and then practicing it, living it out. Living out the instructions of God's word. You have not built your house wisely if you can recite scripture or if you're able to fill in the blanks and all the workbook Bible studies that you might be a part of. You have been a wise builder if you've heard God's word and chosen to experiment with your life. To live it out. I personally think a new believer who has very, very little Bible knowledge but is on this adventure of applying it to their life, 
they're in a better place than someone who grew up in church and can memorize scripture backwards and forwards, yet their life reflects very little of God's word. The Pharisees, the people that Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for, they knew scripture better than anyone else. It didn't mean anything. They weren't living out God's compassion. They weren't living out God's justice and mercy. They weren't wise builders. Friends, I just don't think that God's impressed by our, our, our Bible knowledge, our memorization. He's impressed by faith-filled, obedient living. He loves it to see when people delight in God's word and then take it into their life. Are you living it out? Are you loving your enemy? Are you practicing confession? Are you practicing forgiveness? Do you seek to serve Christ in the face of the homeless, the hungry, the refugee, those who are in need and broken today? The Bible is not meant to be just an inspirational book. It's meant to be instruction on how God wants you to live. This means when we read scripture, we always read it with a question of, how can I apply this to my life? Always. Our staff, we get together on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. Every single week we get together and we begin with a Bible study. We always have a Bible study, whatever passage is going to be preached on on Sunday. And we have uh, the three questions that we ask in this Bible study. And I share this not only for, for this sermon, but also this might be helpful for you if you maybe don't know how to study scripture. We practice these three living questions is what we call it. Three living questions, and it's, here they are. What does this passage say about God? That's the first question. What does this passage say about humanity? That's the second question. And then thirdly, and kind of the most important, what does this passage say on how I should live differently? In the last year and a half as a staff, we have had uh, every week Bible studies on those three questions. All of them have been life-giving. All of them have been challenging because the scripture always applies to our life. So I just encourage you, even if you don't know, how, how do I get into God's word? Ask those three living questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about humanity? And how should I live differently because of this? God's word is meant to be instruction. And then finally, God's word is power. The Bible is power. There's, uh, in particular, it's the power to give us hope. Scripture is God's gift for us to be filled and remember God's hope. And if there's one thing I think this world needs right now, it's hope. Hope for a future. Hope for a savior. Hope for a new beginning. Hope. Romans 15, 4 says it so beautifully. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. All of scripture was written so that we could have hope. Hope that gives us endurance. Hope that gives us encouragement in our life. This is the word of God, it's power to have hope. I want to share about a recent hero of mine. I was stuck in Chicago uh, last week studying the history of our denomination. We're part of the, the Covenant Church, in case you didn't know that. And I was stuck in, uh, for a week studying the denomination's history. And I heard about a woman that really just 
Uh, she deep, her story deeply touched me and inspired me. Her name is Maria Nils Daughter. And in the mid-1840s, she lived in Sweden, and she was married to an alcoholic, abusive man. And she, as she turned to the church for help, her husband was afraid of that, so he literally tied a rope around her and tied her to the kitchen stove, not letting her leave the home. Once she finally encountered the pastor, his advice was not at all adequate or appropriate. Instead of stepping in and calling for deliverance, instead of stepping in and asking for justice and fighting this type of oppression, he told her to read scripture. Inadequate, but somehow God still showed up. She and another woman began to read scripture together and prayed together. And God showed up in the midst of that and brought about deliverance from within. God filled her with hope. A few other women joined in, and all of a sudden the study got larger and larger. It was illegal in Sweden in that day. All church gatherings had to be sanctioned by the, the state. And so what they were doing was an act of rebellion. But they didn't care. They were struck by God's justice and heart of compassion for them, and furthermore, for other people as well. Shortly thereafter, Maria's husband died, and she was left a poor widow with six children. But she did not see herself as merely a byproduct of the abuse. She saw that God had hope and purpose for her life. In those days, it was common in Sweden for children to be auctioned off when they were left as orphans. And something about God's word said that that couldn't be. So her friend, Brigetta and Maria, they saw this and inspired by God's word, they took all the little money that they had and started buying these children. Instead of putting them to work like they were done elsewhere, they brought them to Maria's home and began teaching them the Bible, teaching them of the love of God. And eventually her home became a school and an orphanage. Other women began to band together to give them all the money that they could scrape together so that more children could be brought into this home. Her school and orphanage became an example in all of Sweden. Her grandson uh, would eventually... Uh, immigrate to America and found the denomination that we're a part of. So this is our great-great-grandmother, by the way. Her grandson said about her, it was not grandmother's nature to merely feel compassion. She was accustomed to action. Maria's story details what the power of God's word can do to break through the barriers in this world and just show what can happen when people read and study and delight in God's word and then get up to act. God's word sets the captives free and then gives them the keys to set other captives free as well. God's word changes our lives and through changed lives, we can change the world. That is the power of God's word. So as we sit here and we reflect on God's word, I just want to close by asking you, could God want a different relationship with you and his word this, this year? Might God want something to happen between you and him through his word that it could be made into instruction? It could be a blessing. It could be power.